But I want to introduce Holly. It's, it's all about Holly today. She's got a great message for us. Holly and her husband, David, have been married for 25 years. They have two beautiful children. One is a senior, so she's going to get to send her off uh, this year. Her name is Emily. She's 18, and then she has a 16-year-old son like I do, and his name is Daniel. And Holly has been with us pretty much, how, ma- how many years have you been serving with the Nest? Probably... Six or seven, yes. So she's been, and I admire her so much. She has one of the most humble, sweet, organized hearts of anybody. And I appreciate that because I'm a little scattered, as you can tell. But here's our sweet Holly, and she's got a great message for us. Okay, good morning. Am I on? I'm on. Okay. Um, My first announcement is someone lost a little black bow. I'm thinking this is a child's bow. So if it's your child, come see me afterwards and I will have it up here. Um, Okay. First, I'm going to, I wasn't going to share this with y'all, but I was telling a couple of the girls in Nest Leadership this morning what's been happening the last couple of days. And like, you've got, so got to share this because it's just going to make them know that you're like a real person. So, um. I've had this on my heart for a long time to talk about first world problems, and I'll share with you in a little bit about why that has come to my to my attention. But um, I was started working on this um, before Christmas, and then you know Christmas is just a busy time, and my kids were home, and then we went out of town, and you know so I've been working on it, and it's been coming together, and it was sweet that we were out of town because I had time to kind of work on this, and I got back, and then we had school started, and we had soccer games, and all this stuff. And so I was thinking I was doing pretty good. And then yesterday afternoon, I went to my son's soccer game. And I walked in the house like at 530. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm going to wet my pants. What is the problem? So I go to the bathroom. And it's one of those, when you, if you've ever had a bladder infection, you're like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. So I'm like, this is great. Okay, Satan, you know, you are not going to win. Get away from me. So thankfully, I'm married to a doctor. We had some antibiotics in the house. So I started my antibiotic, which I was very, very thankful. We had the tail end of somebody's prescription that I probably failed to give them. But anyway, so I started that. And then um, as the evening went on, I just was not feeling better. And if you've ever had a bladder infection, you know that sometimes when you actually sit down on the toilet, that's when you get the most relief because you just don't have that pressure. I know it's just personal. But anyway, so I sat there for a long time and then I guess I had lost track of how much toilet paper I used. So when I went to flush the toilet, then it overflowed. So that's not good. So then I go to the garage where the plunger is always kept and the plunger is not there. And not only is the plunger not like where it's supposed to be. It's not anywhere in the garage at all. We can't find it. I'm like, okay, Satan, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. But anyway, I did find a plunger and I did, um, I did get the toilet and stopped and we got all that cleaned up. And then I actually, um, did take some more medicine before I went to bed. So I actually feel better this morning. I'm so glad you now you know all that information. But um, then I get here this morning and I had emailed my slides for my PowerPoint to uh, Les Brown, who is an absolute rock star. And I get here and he's talking about like, when do you want to show the video? And I'm like, well, after the family photos. And he goes, what family photos? I'm like, all the family photos that were in the, the PowerPoint I sent you. And he's like, I didn't get those. Like, okay, that's another first, it's a, it is a first world problem, but it's like another example of Satan trying to get in the way. Well, thankfully, Les wasn't even supposed to be here. The girl that was supposed to be here had a sick child this morning. So God is sovereign. God sent Les, got everything worked out. But anyway, I share that with you because my heart this morning is I don't have all this figured out. I am not here to make you feel like 
Um, you were doing things wrong. I have a big giant plank in my eye. I'm trying to pull it out every single day. And so I want all of you to leave encouraged. And I do think this topic is sobering though. So just know going into it that, um, you're going to probably leave with a little self-examination of like, wow, did that kind of hit home? And some, some areas I'll talk about won't hit you at all, and some really will. But my heart is to encourage you, and I don't want you to think I have it all together because I am way, way far from that. So um, as Millie said, um, I love the nest. I love your stage of life. Um, I'm passionate about trying to encourage y'all. What you're doing is important. The world would tell you it's not. The world would tell you that you should be doing a bunch of other things, some of which we're going to talk about today. But what you're doing is very important. And the other thing, it's ironic, the poem that Allison read, we didn't even talk about this, but when she, the part in there where your mom will tell you that this time really flies by, and when you're in your stage of life, you're like, yeah, right, they've forgotten what that's like, they haven't taken a two-year-old to the grocery store, they haven't done 500 loads of laundry, they haven't cleaned up dirty diapers, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you, ladies, it goes by in a flash. And when Millie said, I'm sending my daughter off to college next year, and I could just, you know, I'm so thankful for the time I've had and the time I've invested in her. And I will tell you, I do not regret one single moment. And if I would, if you would leave with anything today, it would be like, dig in, ladies. Dig in now. It's going to be gone before you know it. And I know you're thinking, I don't know what I'm talking about, but... When people tell you that, they really know what they're talking about. Um, okay, so let's, I want to show you a couple of family pictures. Just, you'll kind of have a frame of reference. Okay, so these are my kids. This was last week. Um, that's Emily and Daniel. They're two and four. Okay, so this is this summer. And now they're 16 and 18. And then I have one more picture. This is our family from this summer. So... They don't stay little ladies. They get big. So just dig in and, and treasure your time with them. So we're talking today about first world problems. And I have a video I want to show you. And I actually had two different videos. I, t- I found one. One was a little more lighthearted and one's a little more serious. And I decided to go with the serious one um, just to kind of set the tone. But um, it was made by uh, a company that was promoting clean water anyway. So let's just uh, take a look at some first world problems. hate when my little seats aren't heated. When I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone. La mette radio na machine à laver, yo commence à sentir. I hate it when my house is so big. I need two wireless washers. When my megan makes my hot water taste too cold. When I have to write my maid a check, but I forget her last name. Mpa ka yiki message va marcher en même temps. I hate it when I tell them no pickles and they still give me pickles. Okay. Um, 
So first of all, I want to tell you why I'm actually speaking on this topic. So I was in Tom Thumb one afternoon doing some grocery shopping, and I ran into Sherry Johnston. I don't know how many of you know her. She's Her uh, husband was, used to be an elder here, and we actually went to college together. And so she's like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm like, yeah, you know, I just don't hardly ever come to Tom Thumb anymore. I usually go to Central Market. But today I really just didn't want to have to bag and weigh my own produce. And she looked at me, and she goes, that is a first-world problem. And I was like, wow, you are right. That is a first world problem. And so kind of when I put that in perspective, I thought, I am so blessed. And I have so many things to be thankful for. And I'm complaining because I have to go to Tom Thumb and bag. I mean, I have to go to Central Market and bag and, and tag my own produce. I'm like, that is pathetic. And so it just kind of started me taking... Um, just a good look at like what I really am complaining about. And when you uh, get right down to it, a lot of things, especially in Dallas, that we complain about are ginormous first world problems, like the, like the little boy in the thing talking about pickles. Like I have a son who hates pickles. He just hates pickles. And we were out of town and we had gone to this like deli to get sandwiches and I think two or three times. And finally he's like, I told the guy no pickles and he gave me pickles and I'm just going to tell him next time I'm allergic to pickles. And I was just like, that is a first world problem. It's like, really get over yourself. So it just kind of started me on this path of, I'm thinking about that. But on the other hand, I don't want anybody to think that if you have a problem you're really struggling with, that I'm trying to trivialize that. I mean, if you have, um, let's say you, your car is completely broken down and you can't afford to um, to fix it, then I don't want you to feel bad because people in Haiti don't have cars. It's like your reality, your perception is your reality. So just know that when I talk about these different things, if you're struggling with something like that, I'm not trying to judge you or condemn you or anything like that. It mainly it's it's focusing on things that we complain about. That really, if you looked deep down, you would you would just be ashamed that you actually complained about that. So um, all right, let's. Um, what I want to encourage you with this morning is what my goal is that you would leave here and that you would be spurred on to do better and that you would encourage each other to do better. So I don't want you to think of this as like, oh, I need to change 10 things in my life or do 10 things. Just leave with one thing this morning. If you leave with one thing um, that you really feel convicted that you really want to work on or one area where you've gotten a little lax, that would be my goal. So I want you to leave encouraged. Um, let me see. All right, let's look at what the definition of a first world problem is. Okay, so first world problem is a slang term used to refer to issues in first world nations that are complained about only because of the absence of more pressing concerns. And this was added to the um, Oxford Dictionary in November of 2012. So a first world problem is living in a wealthy industrialized nation that third worlders would probably roll their eyes at. And the essence of a first world problem is when your complaint conveys that you are both blessed and irritated at the same time. It's like, I can't believe my car is so big that I can't get it in this parking space. Or like, I can't believe that my Wi-Fi is so slow. Or the pickle example or whatever. So... That's what a first world problem is. Um, other examples would be having to cancel your cable because you couldn't afford your air conditioning over the summer, or your cell phone's too old that you can't text or take pictures. 
Um, you have to save up money to buy a new outfit to go somewhere. You're tired of drinking the pop that comes in the two liter bottle because you're trying to save money and you'd really rather have it in a can. Um, those are things basically that people in the third world, they just, they can't even imagine that we would complain about such a thing. So third world problems on the other hand would be you have to choose to drink stagnant water or die of dehydration. You have to see your whole family die because of civil war or feuding between tribes. And I don't know if anybody saw NBC Nightly News last night. There was a little girl, and I don't remember which country it was in Africa, but that's exactly what happened to her. She watched her whole family be murdered. And I'm like, wow, I'm so blessed. What do I have to complain about? So sometimes you just need a reality check of of what's going on around you. Um, Another example would be, uh, in the third world, would be having to fight over who gets to eat the rat and the maggot-infested rat because it's the only food available. Um, So when you think of a third world problem, think of people in like Haiti or Somalia that really have nothing. And if any of you have ever been to any of those countries, it is very, it's very, very sobering. But it's also so amazing to see how much peace and contentment and how blessed they are when you don't have all these distractions and all these things that we have that we complain about in Dallas. So I have a couple of Dallas uh, examples to show you. Okay, so this one is uh, Park City's People Magazine editor Don Culler took his kids to Rafa's Mexicano in University Park, and Sir was very displeased by his dining experience. Sir's children waited for water, and when their refreshments arrived, their cups came. Steal yourselves, good people of Eater, without lids. To make matters worse, Sir's children were served before he was. He will not be going back to Rafa's anymore. That is a first world problem. Okay, let's look at the next one. So here's a little graph. First world problems, had to park far from the door. Your show isn't in HD, too much goat cheese in my salad. Or in the, in the third world, hunger, cholera, rape, no water. You can go on and on. And then I think we have one more, and this is really like my favorite. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hi, Becky. This is Caitlin's mom. I have a concern about the snacks you're serving to the kids. Today, we were at the store, and Caitlin pointed out the type of cookies that you served at the teddy bear picnic. Much to my dismay, they weren't a name brand. My husband and I pay very good money for childcare, and we expect... I'm sorry. Uh, we expect that corners won't be cut out to care for our child. That, and we don't want to instill in her sorts of, sort of values in her that make her think it's okay to settle for less than the best. That might be hard for you to understand, but it means a lot to me. Um, and I did learn something interesting as I was working on this talk. Do you, there, there are websites out there that are designed for you to send in first world problems that people have either tweeted or Instagrammed or whatever, or sent in an email form, and they give prizes every day for the best first world problems. <laughs> so there are amazing ones out there. Um, however, many of them have very bad language in them. I will just tell you that right now. Um, okay. All right, so I think I don't think I have a slide for this, but I have it on your paper. So, what are some of the root causes of uh, first world problems? And I would I would say to you, um, lack of gratitude, lack of contentment, um, a feeling of entitlement, pride, like that somehow you deserve better than what you're getting. Uh, fear, I think, in a lot of ways, um, you're you're worried about something, you're fearful, and that translates into a complaint, just anxiety, worry, lack of trust. 
All right, let's look at um, what we deal with in Dallas. So I would say, and if anybody has heard me talk before, one of my sayings is comparison is the thief of joy. I think it's very easy in Dallas to get caught up in looking at what other people have um, and somehow that just robs you of all your joy. And it could be your car, your house, your clothes, your kids, your husband's job, your success, any, anything that you're having to deal with. Another one of my sayings is the enemy of better is best. Sometimes just being content with where you are is good. And sometimes if you've ever like tried to make something better and then it completely falls apart on you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but in Dallas, and I think too, this has changed over time. I'm way older than most of you. But when I was growing up, I mean, we didn't have the internet. I know that's shocking to y'all. Um, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Pinterest. Like if you wanted to look at fashion, you went and bought a, like a magazine at the store. Like, I don't even, I don't really buy those kind of magazines like in style or something like that. And so you would look through there and you would see kind of what the latest fashion is. All you have to do now, you probably get like 20 emails you know, a week from different people selling you Gap or whatever places you bought things that are sending you pictures of like what the latest fashion is. Like we're the dead of winter and now there are these swimsuits and all these things out here. So you have all these things that are upfront vying for your attention about what is really, um, what's better than what you have or what's something that you don't have that you need. And I think it used to be like if you wanted an idea for, let's say, you're going to have a birthday party for a child, like you might call a friend who had an older child and you would say, hey, Susie's turning four. Do you have any ideas for what kind of birthday party I can give Susie? Well, now you just Google that and you'll have like a bazillion ideas or you get on Pinterest and you can get completely overwhelmed. And before you know it, you have a whole board and it's nothing but birthday ideas for Susie or you have a Susie board and a Johnny board and a everything else. So it's, I mean, I really, in some ways... I, I feel for y'all because there's so much pressure to do better, to compete, to be, um, just to do something different. And I think that it's changed. And I would just say to you to be careful about, um, what you're really striving for and just to be careful what you allow yourself to take in, um, in your mind. And that can be through emails you get or how you spend your time on your phone or, and it can even be just who you hang out with and who you can, who you listen to. All right. So what are we going to do about all this? I think first thing is you need to put everything in God's perspective and we're going to have scripture that goes along with everything to kind of, to tell us what God's word says about these problems we have in Dallas. And then the other thing I would say to you is control what you can control. And you, and some things you have absolutely no control over, but some things you do. And I will say this too. Some things I'm going to cover are going to really hit you and some things aren't. Um, like for me, one of the, one of the topics is talking about um, material things and like electronics. Well, I am not an electronic person. Our family is not an electronic person, but for some people that may be really important to you to have a new gadget or whatever. So some things might really hit you and some things might not. So if it hits you, please don't feel judged. Just just take it and, and, and we'll process through all that. Okay, so let's look at uh, the top 10 first world problems in Dallas. And they're not really in any particular order, although I think some of the significant ones are at the end. And these are mine. This isn't a list or anything like that. This is just kind of as the Lord spoke to me, this is sort of what we came up or what he and I came up with. Okay, so the first one I would say is food. 
And I've titled this, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. So let's look at Philippians, and this is in your handout, uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Not that I'm speaking from being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, I have a couple of uh, slides for us on this. All right, so here we see Jesus feeding the 5,000, and the crowd is saying, I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. Has the fish been tested for mercury? Is that bread gluten-free? And it's like, that's kind of true. That's sort of how, we, how we've, instead of being grateful, we're like looking to, you know, what, what is it about it that we don't like? All right, let's look at the next one. It's a tweet. I do not understand how families manage to spend just a hundred-ish a week on groceries. Berries and avocados alone run us forty-two dollars a week. Some of you are like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Um, all right, and then let's look at the next one. This is a graph of um, how America eats out. And ladies, we live in Dallas. We are at the top of the list. We're the number one eating out city in the United States. Okay. We eat out 70% more than average. Okay, is that shocking? Yeah, shocking, shocking. Okay, so let's talk about, okay, in the third world, what do they deal with? They, if you think of food in the third world, you think of hunger, famine, um, you know, just no food, disease food, nasty food, just, I mean, there are no choices. They, they just basically, I mean, it might be whatever they can grab off the truck that, that comes to bring them food. They don't have these choices. What do we deal with in Dallas? We've already seen this. We spend more money on restaurants than any other U.S. city. We have kids that are picky, picky, picky. We have kids that like, I don't want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to Chick-fil-A or I don't want that. I have friends who actually have a rotating schedule for their kids after uh, where they're going to go to lunch after church because they can't all agree which restaurant to go to. Um, We have so many different places to shop. You can shop organic. You can shop wholesale. You can shop at, you know, Tom Thumb. How many different grocery stores do we have? I think we have an enormous problem with just the waste of food. Think about, I mean, our restaurant portions are so large. We have all this food that goes to waste. And we have people that, like, I'm not going to eat leftovers. I can't serve my family leftovers. Um, The lost art of cooking and eating at home. How many um, kids grow up in a house where they never have seen mom cook a meal? They have no idea that that that's what the kitchen's really for. They think it's like the microwave. Um, Obesity. By 2030, over 40% of Americans will be obese. Our obsession with Starbucks. Did you know that coffee's the fastest growing restaurant industry in the country? So that's, that's Dallas. Okay, so let's talk a little application here. So what first world problem do you struggle with when, with regards to food? Think about that. And if this is one of those areas that doesn't hit you, just let the people at your table think about that. Okay, so I'll, I'll confess, for me, I have a husband who grew up in a house. His mom really didn't ever cook. He just remembered going to his best friend's house or to his grandmother's house to eat. So my husband, it's very important um, to him that our kids know 
that food is cooked at home and that we eat at home. And so my first world problem is that I complain about having to cook and shop for food. I mean, is that pitiful? It's just pitiful. Anyway. Um, all right. Another application question. Do your kids know what a home cooked meal is? I'm not saying you have to be Martha Stewart or pioneer woman or something like that, but did they, they actually know that you can like make a chicken nugget in the, in the oven, like bake it, not even really cook it from scratch, but just eat at home. Do they know that? Do you think you are more spiritual or holy if you eat organic or vegan or make your own bread or your own baby food? And if you've ever been in, and this kind of ties back into what Allison read earlier, like how many times have you ever been in, you felt judged because people were doing one thing and you weren't, or you somehow, um, you, you would complain about having to make your own baby food. Like really people in the, in the third world country just be happy to have anything to feed their starving child. Okay. So that's food. Let's look at the second one, which is clothing. I took a passage from Luke. Which could, which could apply to food as well. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your body, what you will eat. I'm sorry, anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? All right, let's look. The first example I have is definitely a first world problem. It's a disaster when your country has an obesity epidemic and a skinny jeans fad. Yeah. I know, it's just tough. Is it terrible or what? Okay, now let's look at Haiti. This is, for those of you that know Scott Michael, this is Scott Michael um, in Haiti holding the hand of this little boy. And um, that, that's, that's the third world. They're not worried about the latest fashion sense. They're worried about do they have any clothing for their children. Like this little boy. Is just, but look at the big smile on his face. He is just as happy as he can be. Um, or they have the clothing, like I, my family went to Haiti a few years ago and I was just amazed, like all these little boys would be running around in like little girls shirts or like ruffles and eyelet and all this kind of stuff or the girls and some clearly boys outfit. It's like, that's, I mean, if that's a problem for them, they, they don't care that their kids have on the wrong sex clothing. Like we would never dream of sending Johnny to school in Susie's dress. Um, their clothes are filthy. Um, so that, that's what you have in the third world. So let's talk about what we have in Dallas. In Dallas, you must be stylish. You must have on designer clothing. You must have on the latest fashion. If you're going to go to an event or a party, Christmas party or something like that, you have to have a new dress. And then you don't just have to have a new dress. You have to have new shoes and new jewelry. You have to have your hair done. You have to have your makeup on. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, in Dallas, I would say one of the biggest problems we face is that people are dressing to either impress other people or to attract other people. Um, and I, this may seem a little contradictory, but since I'm talking about what it's like to be a wife in Dallas as well as a mom, know, ladies, that there are women out there that are dressing to attract men. And that could include your husband in his workplace. So what I would say to you is you don't need to go run out and buy a new outfit, but you do need to think about what you look like when he comes home at the end of the day. So 
that probably means like not being in your jammies. Uh, maybe, you know, you take the sweatpants off or something like that. So I would be remiss if I didn't leave you with a little plug to just know that there are women out there in this in the city that do that. So think about that when your husband comes home. What do you want him to come home to? All right, so let's talk a little application. So what first world problem do you struggle with in regards to clothing? Let me think of any. What messages are you sending out about how you dress or what you shop for? If you have a clothing issue, can, it, can you take a break from the mall or the internet? Can you just say, you know what, I really struggle in this area. I'm just not going to go to North Park. Or I'm going to go home and I'm going to delete all those emails that come in from all the different places you catalog shopped over Christmas so that you don't see they're having a sale or the new spring fashion line has come out. Can you stop pinning my style clothing on Pinterest? All right, number three is shelter. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We have a slide of, um, this is Haiti again. And these were um, temporary tent structures that were put up by compassion after the Haiti earthquake. And I'm trying to think how many years ago that was. Probably five, six years now. And this is where they still live. This is their shelter. So in the third world, your shelter issues would be, I don't have any, or um, it's blown over. I don't have any. In Haiti, no one had electricity in any any of these types of settings. Um, no running water, no indoor plumbing, one room for your entire family. So those that's the kind of shelter issues in the third world. Let's talk about Dallas now. What do we have in Dallas? We have not good enough. Not in the right neighborhood, not in the right zip code, not in the right school district, not big enough, not updated, or full of dirty laundry, toys everywhere, and not clean enough. I would say to you, um, it's called Better Homes and Gardens for a reason. If there weren't houses out there that looked better than everybody else's, they, all those magazines would be completely out of print. You have to have some, they, they have to sell you that there's something better that somehow you're missing. So I would say to you, if you're struggling with your home, where you live, your discontent, don't go watch HGTV. Don't go look at a thousand different ways you can make things better. And don't go to open houses. I had a friend who struggled with this for a while. And she finally, just one day, it dawned on her. It was like, I'm unhappy with where I'm living. Why am I torturing myself by going to these open houses? It sounds really simple, but, but think about that. There's a little application here. So are you content with where the Lord has you living? Are you happy with your home? And if not, why? Are you constantly pinning things you want to do to your home? I don't know if you you all follow people that do that all the time. It's like I'm thinking, oh my gosh. First I have a friend. I'm like, are you building a new home? And it really, she wasn't. She just (laughs) pinned all the time all these things that she wanted to do. Um, is there something you've been complaining about with regards to your home that's a first world problem? Like, I just can't stand that my front door is red or whatever it is. Do you have one of those? Do you think your attitude towards your home affects your husband and your kids? Okay, let's look at transportation now. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I mainly picked this because of the, the emphasis on possessions. Okay, so this is Haiti again. So the guys in the back of the truck, and Haiti, those are called tuk-tuks. And that's like their taxi system. So people have basically just taken the back of pickup trucks or whatever, and then they put little like wooden benches in there, and that's where you pile on and you pay money to ride in the back of this to go where you want to go. And then it just happened that the guy behind it, he's got like some kind of an engine on that trailer, and he didn't have any way to pull it except by himself. So that's transportation in the third world. And let's talk about transportation in Dallas. What do we have in Dallas? We don't, we don't have tuk-tuks, and we, I haven't ever seen anybody walking around trying to pull a trailer like that. But we have the latest and the greatest. We have newer cars. We have larger cars. We have more fuel economic cars. Drive through a parking lot in Dallas and look at the cars, and then go out of state and look at cars. Do you ever notice that, like, out-of-state lot, not every car is an SUV or a minivan or some big, giant, fancy car. Um, Dallas would tell you that what you, what you drive defines who you are. Um, Dallas would tell you that everyone gets a car at age 16, and a lot of kids get a brand-new car. <laughs> Dallas would tell you that a new Lexus will make you have a Christmas to remember. <laughs> so I would ask you... When was the last time you had a first world problem with your current form of transportation? And I'm not talking about it broke down on the side of LBJ. I'm talking about you complained because it's not the color you wanted. Or um, you don't have XM stereo or something like that. Doesn't have a jack to play Pandora. Um, How do you feel when someone you know gets a new vehicle? Are you happy for them? Are you somehow jealous? Or what do you think when someone you know gets a car that you think is expensive, like a Rolls Royce or a Porsche? What kind of goes through your mind? I don't know anybody with a Rolls Royce, by the way. Um, and the last thing is, like, is your car a most prized possession? I know women don't really struggle with this as much as men, but think about that in Dallas. Dallas would tell you that what you drive defines who you are. All right, we're going to move to number five, which is your body image. I love this verse. Uh, Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I have another Haiti video for this. And he's obviously, he's not a woman, but I just thought about that. It's like, is this guy worried about body image? It's like, this guy is down and out, has no place to live. And, And that's exactly how the people... In the third world country, are they're not worried about what they look like. Um, they're worried about a lack of medical care. They're worried about being sick and having no medicine for their kids. They're worried about having their child having some kind of a deformity, like a cleft palate or something like that. They have no access to get fixed, and then they're scorned because of that. They're just busy trying to stay alive. So what do we have in Dallas? Dallas, we have weight loss, a new you. We have toned, tanned, ripped, augmented, reduced, eyelash extensions, body waxing, manscaping, laser hair removal, fake nails, hair color, extensions, liposuction, Botox, spanks for men and women. I do own a pair of spanks. Um, padded bras, push-up bras, push-up bottoms, tattoos, and piercing. 
If you don't like what you have, you can get it changed. All you have to do is walk through the mall, look at D Magazine, look at anything else. That's what the image of Dallas is. Um, and it's and it's not just that you can change this. It's that's really how you should have been in the first place and that something's wrong with you that you don't have all these things. So what's the application for that? What would those that live with you say you think about your body? Think about what comes out of your mouth. What do you say to your husband? What do you say to your kids? If you work out all the time, why are you working out? If you are constantly on different diets, what message are you sending your kids? What comments do you make about yourself? Do you, do you expect perfection? And what do you tell your kids? I think about this. When I was a kid, um, my maiden name was Belle. And so my mom would always tell me that I had the Belle butt. And I'm like, what she meant by that was like, you know, it was your dad's side of the family kind of had this bottom issue. And so in my head, I mean, like I'm 50 now, I sort of have this, actually I'm 51. I had this like trauma over that. And then I have a friend who was told her whole life that she had bad hair. So think about that, ladies. What are you telling your kids? Is there kind of some body image issue that you've attached to or that you are passing along to your kids? How do your kids hear you speak about your body to them? And I would just encourage you, don't buy into what Dallas would tell you, buy into what God's word would tell you. All right, let's look at number six, church, Bible study, and community service. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And my tweet is, this talks about, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. This church doesn't have Wi-Fi, bull, church tweets. So this is somebody complaining about the lack of Wi-Fi in a church. So what do we have in the third world? We have um, people rejoicing at the opportunity to worship or to have a Bible. I mean, if you, t- you hear people that have gone... Um, to third world countries, if they can worship, they worship for hours. We complain because Todd talks too long on Sunday. I mean, seriously. Um, and in terms of community service, people in the third world, they don't have time to do community service. They're busy just trying to stay alive. They're trying to like get food for their children and water, uh, wash their clothes in a dirty stream. They don't have time to be worried about where they're going to volunteer. So what do we have in Dallas? We have 31 flavors of churches or Bible studies. Like if you don't like it because your church doesn't have Wi-Fi, you can just go down the road. We have people that church shop. My church is better than yours. Contemporary versus traditional. Uh, Saturday service versus Sunday service. Uh, We have a comparison over which Bible study is the most holy or makes you the most spiritual. Have you ever heard anybody, like you will tell them you're doing a certain study and they're like, oh, well... I did the so-and-so study. And if you miss more than once, you're kicked out. It's like, that's what we have in Dallas. We have people bragging about the hours of volunteering um, that they're doing, but they're sacrificing their marriages and their kids. So what's the application on this one? If you're volunteering somewhere, why are you volunteering? Was it a purposeful decision or did you just fall into it? Is it taking away from your time with God and your family? Do you have a grid in place to help you determine how you will spend your time? Is your self-worth tied up in where you attend church or what Bible study you're in or where you're serving? All right, let's look at number seven, 
Let me entertain you. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And this tweet, uh, slow internet is my generation's Vietnam. It's like that is kind of um, the reality of some people. They don't really know what it's like to have a war or a burden or the problems of the third world country. So they complain about slow internet. So what do we have in the third world country? We have um, kids like the little boy in that picture I showed you earlier without the pants on. They're happy. They find ways to entertain themselves. It's amazing what if, if kids don't have toys, what they can actually make to have fun with. Um, and I would say if you've ever had a one-year-old at Christmas and they're happier with the box than whatever the present was you bought them. But I think now our kids are so inundated with what they have that they can't just entertain themselves. So what do you, what do you hear in Dallas? What, what's the entertainment issues in Dallas? You have kids that say, I'm bored. I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. Um, the movie theater does not have the movie that you want to go see or doesn't have it at the time you want to go see it. My Netflix won't load. You go out to eat, that waitress is so slow or that waitress is stupid or I can't believe they ran out of what I wanted to order. Um, complaining about how much you're spending on the ticket costs, that, that's really a first world problem. Complaining that you're going to the movie and how much it's costing you. Reading junk. Watching junk. I mean, how, how many of us are entertaining ourselves with things that are not noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? So I would ask you, if a friend came over to your house to visit, would you need to move the books and the magazines you're reading out of sight because you're embarrassed or because you know they're trash? Same thing for what you have on your DVR. If somebody came over and looked at the list of what you have recorded, would, would those things be, I'll go back to my list, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, or are you just simply entertaining yourself? Do you go to see movies that are mindless and trash just to entertain yourself? Do you let your kids go to those? I know most of you don't because yours are too little right now, but one day they won't be that little. Uh, how do you respond when your kids say they're bored? Do you have a plan for what you're going to do when they come in and say they're bored? And when I grew up, that was the quickest ticket to folding laundry. And so I learned after a while just not to say that. So, all right, let's look at number eight, living in a material world. The passage I picked for this is Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we have a slide here. And I know this seems shocking, um, but, you know, I know people that's like their three-year-olds have iPhones. It's crazy. And I'm not here to, I mean, every every family that's different and people that love the Lord are going to parent differently. So I'm not here to judge whatever age you decide. Your child gets a cell phone. That's a decision you need to make with your husband and the Lord. But um, that's what Dallas would tell you. There's no, I mean, everyone's entitled to a cell phone. 
And it, when I was working on this, it made me think about um, the song by Madonna that came out in 1984. I know a lot of you were probably like two then. Um, but I, I looked at the words of that song, and it's very telling. So she says, some boys kiss me, some boys hug me. I think they're okay. If they don't give me proper credit, I just walk away. They can beg and they can plead, but they can't see the light. That's right, because the boy with the cold, hard cash is always Mr. Right. Because we're living in a material world, and I'm a material girl. Um, And then she goes on. Some boys romance, some boys slow dance. That's all right with me. If they can't raise my interest, then I have to let them be. Some boys try and some boys lie, but I don't let them play. Only boys who save their pennies make my rainy day. And that was 1984. That was a long time ago. But it's still true. Those words are still true. We live in a material world. And in Dallas, we are absolutely inundated with it. Um, you're, you're told the next thing you buy will make you happy. You can't be seen with a knockoff brand. Think about the material things, clothing, cars, electronics. I have to have a new iPhone. My, my phone is outdated. I need a big screen TV. I need the latest gadget. And then what about your kids? Do they get a new toy every time you go to Target just to keep them quiet or just because the toy's cheap? How much of the little junky toys do you have in your house? Um, are they overfilling your toy box? So what are, were you teaching your kids about material possessions? So do your kids have so many toys that they can't appreciate what they have? What is something you think you want or need? What will happen if you don't get it? Have you ever kind of given yourself the 24-hour rule? You go in and you see something, and you're like, oh, I think I really need that. And then if you walk away and leave the store and force yourself to go back and actually get it, probably nine times out of ten, but the next day you've completely even forgotten you so desperately needed this item. But then you, you really decide, you know what, it's really not worth the effort to go and get it. How many catalogs do you get in the mail each week? Do you feel compelled to read or save them? Same for emails that come in. Like if you get an email in your inbox from some store, can you just hit delete or unsubscribe? Or do you feel like you have to, to read it? Like if you get an email that says so-and-so is having a sale, do you sit up and take notice? Do you have to put that on your to-do list then to go run by there and see what they might have? Some item that you didn't even know you thought you wanted. And I would, I would say to you, just because you can afford something doesn't mean you should buy it. So even if you have the money to buy your child the extra $2 toy in Target, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea. And I think, too, as your kids get older, you will see just because you can get them something new um, doesn't mean you should. And I'm not saying don't, don't give to your children, don't, you know, occasionally treat them or whatever. But there are people all over Dallas that give their kids whatever they want just because they can. I would also say if you come home from Target or Walmart with five things in your basket that you never intended to buy, maybe you need to consider that you can actually buy laundry detergent or cat litter or whatever at the grocery store. might cost you a little bit more money. They don't have cute new... Uh, things on sale at the grocery store like clothing or kids things or whatever and it used to happen to me all the time so think about that as you're thinking about what material possessions you you want to bring into your house all right let's look at number nine this is the worship of worship of people who do you worship 
Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And I have a slide here. Who do you worship? So let's talk about what people in the third world worship. Um, in many countries, they worship God, which, which is wonderful. A lot of countries, they don't. Some people might worship the dictator or the oppressor um, out of fear that their family is going to be killed. But what do, we, what do we worship in Dallas? What's the culture in Dallas tell you to worship? The culture in Dallas tells you to worship sports figures, Hollywood types, politicians, musicians. And those seem pretty obvious, but I would say one of the biggest things we struggle with in Dallas is the worship of our kids. We find all our worth in them, our significance in them. We're so tied up in what they're doing that we completely, um, our lives evolve around them and their activities and what they're doing. And we find our self-worth in our kids and how we're parenting. And it ties into what Allison read earlier. It's like it starts really young. It starts with um, when they're babies. Are you going to work? Are you going to stay home? Is your baby sleeping through the night? Does your baby still use a pacifier? Are you breastfeeding? Are you using formula? Um, and then you move on to um, when they're a little older. Are you using cloth diapers? Are you using disposable diapers? Are you, uh, is your child sitting up? Are they walking? All these things that we find our worth in. And it, it really, it's not in the sense that you're you've made your child your idol, but in a sense you have because they've become the center of your life and not Christ. And it, and it continues. I think it's a real pitfall in Dallas of what people do with their kids. So once you're out of the stage that most of you are in, then you go to school then you have all the, the um, issues of homeschooling, private schooling, public schooling. Are they reading, um, at what extracurricular activities? Like, have you made, um, your child's schedule, is that, is that what your whole life evolves around? So I would ask you, are you living through your kids? What happens to you if they don't win? I know a lot of you have little biddies, but when they get older, it's like, how, how are you going to handle it when they don't finish first? Or they're the best or the fastest or the smartest. Are you trying to be their friend? I would tell you, be their parent. Develop character and respect. That's the greatest thing I would say besides instilling in them, obviously, a love for the Lord. But that's your job as a parent is to teach them. Are your kids overscheduled? Do you find yourself rejoicing when things get canceled or rained out? Are you a slave to the youth sports cartel? What will you do to keep the same schedule when you have two, three, or more kids? Are you letting your kids fail and suffer consequences? Don't helicopter. It's so much easier to watch them fail at five or seven or ten than it is when they're older. Are you telling your kids the truth about their strengths and weaknesses? So I know this is shocking, but not everyone who can sing is going to win American Idol, and not everyone who plays football is going to the NFL. But in Dallas, you would have people that that's what their kids have been taught to believe. You are the smartest you are the prettiest. You are 
the best one on the whole team. And I'm not saying you need to tell your kids, you know what, you really stink at playing that. But it's like, you can, incre- and, and, I do, and I do think it's important to tell your, your daughter, I think you're beautiful. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. But you don't want to sell them, especially when it comes to a talent or a trait. You want to be honest with them, and you want to channel that in to help them realize what their spiritual gifts are, what their strengths are, and help them align their dreams with their gifts. I think we have a whole... Um, generation of kids who have been taught to think that they are special and wonderful and they should expect extraordinary things when really they're just pretty average. So, and it also ties into what do you think about this? What do you do with this information? Um, it, and it's hard in Dallas to sit back and realize, you know what? My, and I'll just say this, my kids are wonderful and I love them and they're smart, but they're not the smartest at my kid's school and they're not the stars of the football team and they're not, and you know what? I'm okay with that because they have lots of other things that they do great. And not everyone peaks at the same time and you don't want your kids peaking in high school. I can guarantee you that. So, um, so think about that. And the other thing I would say is to help them to learn to rejoice when other people do get success. When someone wins, when someone gets an award or something like that, um, help them realize that. It's pretty funny. At our school, um, we give out, they have this academic award ceremony in the spring, and it's just a real beating if your child is not a genius because <laughs> you have to go and you have to sit there and you have to watch all these people get these awards. And so... Um, there are some that are easier to get than others. For example, they give a Spanish award. Basically, you take an exam, and if you make a certain score, you get to walk up to the front, and you get this um, this uh, certificate. And so we had open house in the fall, and there was a, a, a child who had, or a parent who had a child in one of my kids' classes. And at the end of every teacher presentation, he'd be like, do you give an award in this class? And so, like, the first class, it was like math. Like, if you make a certain GPA, you get an award. And then we went to the next class, like, do you give an award in this class? And finally, somebody just called him out and was like, what is your deal? And he was like, I'm not sitting through another academic award ceremony without my kid getting a certificate. And we're just like, wow, that's really important to you. So I would just say, um, don't, don't worship your children. Don't go find your worst somewhere else. They're going to grow up. They're going to leave you. And you're never going to get fulfillment there. All right. Let's, um, let's move on to the last one. Hurry up, you're late, which I am running late. Uh, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Let's have a slide for this. Stop the glorification of busy. So let's talk about in the third world, people are busy just staying alive, hauling water, gathering food, washing clothes in a dirty stream. They don't have time for to-do lists and running around. They're just trying to survive day by day. What do we have in Dallas? We have the glorification of busy. We have, um, what do we run around saying? Oh, there's not not enough hours in the day. I have so much to do. I'm exhausted. Um, We are busy. And Gina Joyce, if Gina's here, one of her sayings is busy means being under Satan's yoke. I thought, wow, that's so true. And I know in, in your stage of life, busy is a reality. You have a lot to do. You can't just say, you know what, I'm just not going to be busy. I'm just, you know, little Johnny's just going to have to change his own diaper or whatever. Like the reality is you do have a lot to do. But the difference is you can be busy. You can have many responsibilities, but you can do it peacefully with a calm heart, with rest and with love. 
if you're not overscheduled and you have margin in your day. Hurry, on the other hand, is when you don't have margin, you're overscheduled, you're running around with one more thing to do and one more place to go. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life today. You have to have time to spend time in God's word. And if you don't give yourself time, it's not going to happen. So let's talk about a little application here. Are you constantly running around like a chicken with your head cut off? Is your family suffering because you've overcommitted? How's your spiritual life? Are you slowing down enough to have a close relationship with God? And are you sitting and listening and being with him? Like one, if you want to have a relationship with a friend or your husband, you have to actually listen to what they have to say. If you're talking all the time, you won't know them and you won't know what's going on with them. It's the same with God. If you don't slow down and have time to let him speak to you, it's not going to be a very good relationship. Do you allow for margin in your day? If you know it takes you exactly 10 minutes to drive from home to church, do you allow yourself 10 minutes? Or do you give yourself 20 so that you have time in case you have to change a diaper or your phone rings or somebody loses something? That's something you actually have control over. Can you let yourself sit down and play Legos or Candyland? Are you on your phone or on your computer thinking about the next thing you have to do? It goes back to what I said earlier. This time will be gone before you know it. They will not always want to play Candyland with you. They will not always want to play Legos. And I would say that's probably one of my biggest regrets when I look back. It's like, I wish I'd done that more. No one cares what my house looked like. No one, I mean, they just don't care. And I'm not saying you can just be like, I'm not doing any more laundry. We're playing Candyland all the time. But, but just think about that because you will have time to do laundry. All right, let's look at some parting thoughts and then I'm going to give you all some time for table discussion. So I have the uh, next slide, which is the Psalm 127. Okay, Psalm 127, 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. I just think that's a... a, uh, beautiful picture of what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to rest in him. Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground today. I hope no one feels too terribly convicted. Um, but what, what do we do with what we talked about today? Okay, so the first thing is, these are ABCs, awareness. So we now recognize what it's like to live in Dallas. Some of, the, some of the issues that we face, some you have maybe shocked to learn we actually struggle with and some may really hit you. So we've recognized the problem. So what I would, I would encourage you to do is pick one scripture for one area and, and memorize that. We're, take a picture of it on, with your phone, if, if you have a phone that takes a picture, and, um, and, and just commit to, mem- to memorize that. The second thing I would say is B is boundaries. Set up some boundaries and make choices now about whom, with whom, what, when, and where you allow your mind and thoughts. So if you really struggle with uh, pinning things, then just take the Pinterest app off your phone. If you have a friend who brings you down, who is discouraging or whatever, just know when you're going to interact with that friend that you need to have your conversation be brief or you need to be equipped to steer the conversation in a different way. If you know that going to the mall is going to cause you to stumble, don't go to the mall. 
or don't watch HGTV or whatever it is. If one of these areas really spoke to you, if you are overcommitted, then make a decision now to do something about that. One, one thing you could do is you can on your calendar, just block out like a day, like cross it out and be like at home. Just figure out you have control over some of these things. And the last thing which you see is Christ-centered. Uh, Christ's ways, his word, that's your North Star, that's your compass. That's what should direct you and guide you. If you look at each one of the areas we talked about today, I put a scripture in there for everyone. Just his word is going to tell you what the reality is of all these things and what God's perspective is. Um, I put at the end of your handout a whole bunch of scriptures. I think I entitled them verses to cling to, like scriptures on worry, um, anxiety, complaining, trust, things like that. So if you're really struggling with something like that, it's like, oh, I don't want to worship my child, but I'm, I'm worried about, you know, what's going to happen. Then, then go to these, go to these scriptures. Um, and the other thing is, jump in to to God's word. So join the journey. If y'all don't know what join the journey is, come talk, find me afterwards. And I'll tell you about it. Come to women's Bible study. It starts back up on the 22nd. Come to women's Bible study. You don't have to come to Watermark's Bible study. You can go to another Bible study, but have a plan to get into God's word. The other thing I would say is be in community. You need, especially in y'all stages of life where you're home with little kids who can't converse and who take, 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 take all day. You need to have community of women that can spur you on towards Christ. And then I have one final slide. Which is, it doesn't matter if the glass is half empty or half full. Be grateful that you have a glass and there is something in it. So, thank you, ladies.